You're listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract, the official podcast of the Journal of Addiction Medicine. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract is produced for your enjoyment and is focused on the latest journal-published research and science in the field of addiction medicine. Remember to add us to your favorites in iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at ASAMorg and Facebook. Now, let's go beyond the abstract. Welcome to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. I'm your host, Dr. Sean McNeil, and today we're joined by Dr. Catalina Lopez-Guintero. She's an assistant professor of epidemiology at the University of Florida. She's the author of a piece in the Journal of Addiction Medicine entitled Racial Ethnic Differences in Reasons for Misuse of Prescription Medications Among U.S. Adults. Dr. Lopez-Guintero, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Um, I'd really love to begin by um, asking you to discuss your interesting journey to America and also to tell us about how you decided to begin a career in studying addiction. Okay, so um, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very excited to share the results of the study through this podcast. Um, Talking about my interest in addiction, I have to say that everything started when I was a medical student in Colombia, my home country, and um, I uh, observed how individuals with drug use disorders experience higher rates of comorbid mental health disorders, trauma, infection diseases, and chronic diseases than individuals without without drug use disorders. And unfortunately, uh, many of them didn't receive an integrated treatment or had treatment options that will help them reduce or stop their drug use. I saw this happening in the rural areas uh, where I serve as a social, as a doctor. Um, I also saw that in um, hospitals in large metropolitan areas where I work in a delivery room and uh, also the NICU. And uh, unfortunately, I saw mothers who didn't receive treatment while pregnant. And I saw the consequences in their newborns. And unfortunately, this happened more than once in the same mom. So looking backward, I thought that probably these experiences uh, strongly impacted me and helped me to understand that in order to change this difficult reality, I needed to extend the scope of my work beyond the clinical settings. So then I decided to pursue a career in public health research and with a focus on substance use. Now I am entirely focused on drug use research as an assistant professor in epidemiology at the University of Florida. My current projects focus on deciphering how the complex interaction between individual, social, cultural, structural, and neurocognitive factors interact to explain drug use disparities. I am interested in identifying the mechanisms linking social inequalities to drug use transitions And by transitions, I mean moving from one stage to the next, like, for example, starting using to uh, developing uh, drug use dependence or uh, use disorder and uh, trajectories. So how the individuals progress in their drug use over time. And I um, emphasize the use of biological perspectives and ecological perspectives combined, a bioecological model that allows us to understand how um, the mechanisms, how those, um, all those factors interact and explain transitions and trajectories. I believe that understanding that complex interaction between those factors has the potential to significantly advance the current preventive interventions, uh, the treatment 
or the disorders and also influence policy. And that's basically what motivates my work. Fantastic. And I uh, can tell that this paper combines your interests in public health and addiction. Uh, I do have a question. Did you pursue this topic because you expected to find some differences? Definitely. Um, the reasons why people start and continue using prescription medications without the recommendation of a healthcare provider or not following the specific recommendations given can vary substantially. And uh, we have seen that before. And we thought that some of those reasons involved the desire to experiment with drugs or experiencing the effects of the drug. But in other cases, it could be uh, motivated by, by a legitimate medical problem. And some, in some other instances, it could be, it could be both. So uh, definitely we thought that it can vary by the, not only um, the age group, but also it could vary by other characteristics like the racial and ethnic group the person uh, belongs to. So uh, yes, we thought that there might be a difference that it was worth to study. And in this manuscript in particular, we want to expand the understanding on racial ethnic differences uh, in the reasons for using prescription pain relievers, uh, sedatives and tranquilizers and stimulants. Um, uh, and we call it in a, in a way that the doctor didn't prescribe it or uh, without a prescription, which we call misuse. And specifically, we examined the data from 2019, uh, 2015 to 2019 from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health to assess that uh, the, to assess the data that allow us to study racial ethnic differences in the motives of, um, of uh, use or misuse. Okay, and I would like to get some of your uh, get to some of your specific findings. One of the points you mentioned was that there were several barriers for underserved populations. You found that access to healthcare, provider bias, and inadequate health assessments were all issues. Do you think that these factors have something to do with the racial differences that we see? Definitely, yeah. We actually, in the paper, highlighted the role of structural factors driving those differences. And I think this is not necessarily something new. Our data allow us to provide um, a more recent picture. We highlighted in the paper the role of structural factors because we believe that those keep driving um, these differences. And also, uh, we thought that it was important to analyze more recent data to see uh, whether observations that were done before uh, are still uh, pertinent today. Okay. And, you know, I would like to touch on a couple of points. I know that you said there were several different types of prescription medicines that you looked at, and you mentioned that for both non-Hispanic black subjects and Hispanic subjects, the misuse of pain relievers for medical-only reasons was higher than for non-Hispanic whites. But for sedatives and tranquilizers, you mentioned that, conversely, uh, racial minority groups tended to misuse those for recreational purposes rather than medical-only reasons. So I would like to see if you can comment on why certain groups seem to be misusing certain medications. Well, uh, uh, first, of all, first of all, I think it was interesting that um, the large majority of groups and across all the groups, uh, medical reasons were like the principal reasons why they were misusing um, uh, these uh, medications. Uh, but for prescription pain relievers, we found this uh, 
significant difference uh, with uh, minorities having higher rates for medical reasons than whites. And uh, we believe that that probably could be associated with issues related to bias, uh, provider bias. It could be related to access to treatment, appropriate care for pain, uh, which uh, tends to be the main reason why people misuse prescription pain relievers. Uh, with regards to the sedatives and tranquilizers, um, there isn't that much data about that finding. Um, and in particular, uh, we have seen that there has been a, a more like um, more studies showing that there is an increase in the use of uh, benzos for um, in, in minority groups. But uh, it was surprising that we found it that specifically it was mentioned for recreational reasons. And we suggest in the paper that there's their additional studies should be conducted in order to understand it, specifically what it, why um, minority groups are using sedatives and tranquilizers for recreational reasons. What, what in particular um, might be the motivations and, and uh, how that affect uh, how can that affect uh, the outcomes of uh, using that and other drugs combined? Good. Now, with pain relievers being used for more uh, medical-only reasons in more underserved populations, and with you relating this to the idea that these populations are not receiving the best health care, do you feel like, and this is really for the clinicians listening, do you feel like this should change the way that we practice clinically? or even perhaps spur some structural changes in the way that we treat underserved populations? Yes, well, there is a national, uh, there are some groups nationally working um, specifically on that and trying to understand exactly what should be done at a provider level, at a clinical level to improve the management of pain for um, minority populations. We, have know, we know that uh, sometimes um, uh, implicit bias and some other bias might affect the judgment, and, but um, at the same time, it will be interesting and important to see what structural level factors influence that be, those behaviors and how we can change that. Also, in terms of medical education, how we can change that, and um, also understanding uh, the biology and determining, like having better assessments of pain, might help us also um, to. Um, to address these uh, these biases and and um, have better evidence for the clinicians, so I, I definitely think that um, there there is a lot of work to be done. But I feel like w the hope with this paper is that we will start raising some um, awareness and uh, like people will have more questions about their own practices. Okay, and of course you mentioned that a lot of the work that you do looks at structural factors that affect healthcare disparities. Uh, is there perhaps a more general comment that you'd like to make about the work that you do and uh, maybe how this paper relates to your overall efforts? Yes, um, well, I think that this paper generated new research ideas. For example, we have observed that opioid prescription peak in the US during the 2010s and then decreased each year thereafter, whereas we have seen an increase in cannabis use um, in uh, evidence regarding the analgesic effects of cannabis is growing, but it's still not in the best um, that we have. So 
And we have also seen that existing literature has shown that combined cannabis and opioid use produces synergistic analgesic effects. Um, and so it will be interesting to investigate whether these racial ethnic differences are also exist uh, when we look at combinations between opioid and cannabis and also to see whether patients who do not receive um, adequate treatment with opioids are moving to, to use um, ca medical cannabis to treat their pain. And it will be interesting to see what is their effect because of the pharmacological interactions with opioid use, uh, opi like what is the effect in misuse and also in the uh, occurrence of opioid use disorders. Um, also, it would be interesting to see uh, if these particular uh, minority groups would be more affected in, in the long term Given the effects of cannabis, we don't know yet whether, like um, the like people using this for pain at, uh, at some particular ages might benefit or not uh, in their neurocognitive functioning, uh, in their daily functioning. So it'll be interesting to understand, like whether the combinations could be good and if they are just simply starting to use um, cannabis and leaving opioid use. Um, uh, because uh, it's, it's easier for them to obtain the cannabis. So it, there are so many questions now that um, are like this paper motivated that we're trying to answer with these national data sets and some other data. Very good. So can I mention about the work with the student? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I also must say that um, as a faculty, I truly enjoy working with the students at, at all levels and seeing them developing professionally, it really is very rewarding for me. So I think what something important about this paper is that it was a collaboration with an, an undergraduate student, pre-med student who joined my lab, James Curry. And I'm very excited and optimistic about this new generation of students who are interested in studying and addressing structural factors driving health disparities in our communities. So I just wanted to mention that. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Um, I, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Dr. Lopez Quintero's article can be found in the Journal of Addiction Medicine. This ends today's podcast. Thank you for listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. All of today's show links can be found in the show notes. Remember, you can preview additional abstracts at journalofaddictionmedicine.com. This program was produced by the American Society of Addiction Medicine.